Welcome to Press Play and Surrender. I'm your host, Owen McQuinn, and I'm an Irish filmmaker and actor. This is my chance to speak to artists of all kinds, as well as industry players, from up-and-comers to established talent. My guest today is Aloisio Lecce. Aloisio is a Lisbon-based filmmaker currently working in film acquisitions. His credits include Family Portrait and Bad Poetry Cheap Beer. Aloisio and I knew each other from IMDb message boards way back in the late 2000s, so it was great to finally have a chance to have a face-to-face conversation about movies and screenwriting, even if it was on Zoom. Here's my chat with Aloisio Lecce. Hey Alicio, how are you today? Hey, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. My, my pleasure. Yeah, I've never done a podcast before, so... <laughs> this is <laughs> really cool. No, it's so cool because it's the first time we're kind of talking, and not in person, but virtually, um, after Which knowing each other for many years. <laughs> I think since 2006, right? Could easily Something be. Like because I, I became really active on IMDb and Oscar Buzz specifically when I moved to the US when I was 18 in 2006. So that's 17 years ago almost. <laughs> I know. I don't want to think about it. It's going to show my age, but that's okay. Uh... <laughs> well, you're still younger than me. So, so well, uh, but it was an amazing place. Like that doesn't exist anymore, IMDb message boards, unfortunately. But like it really felt like a community and people had their own personalities. Like it didn't feel anonymous in the same way. Like, yes. And are you still part of the Facebook group for from? I'm for not Oscar? on it. Are you on it? Or I deleted Facebook a few years ago. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but um, yeah, not for a while. And there are some people that I, let's say, met online uh, around the same time as you there that I've met in person, you know, since a few, not a lot, because, you know, people are all over the world. And um, but there's some people that like you that I haven't met in person yet. And but I'm still in touch, you know, so that's that's nice. Yeah, it's so nice. Like, it's nice to have those constant people. and You don't realize how much, how long they've been in your life, but like people in real life have come and gone, but those people are still there. You know, exactly. It's, it, um, it's half of our lives or yeah, more in your days, I guess. <laughs> I know what a way to spend your teenage years, but I actually feel like that was time well spent. Like I was feeding myself with movies and, cinema and learning so much about the history of cinema like to me it was a great way to spend time you were i think in high school at the time and i had just moved to the u.s but i didn't start film school for another two years so okay during those i think i was really active from 2006 into 2008 right before i started film school and so during that time i was just working you know i wasn't going to school so I, i worked a lot but i also have a lot of free time and I was just getting, you know, acclimated to the U.S. And so it was just a community that I found of cinephiles because I wouldn't find that, you know, I was living in Vermont at the time until I started film school a couple of years later, you know. And so it was just very nice to have that. And and it, and it was before social media, too. So it was really just exchanging messages about, you know, like the films that were coming out and, um, yeah, it was just very, very nice to have that. 
Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Is it okay if I ask you a bit about your background, like maybe where you grew up and what your parents did? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, so I from I'm from a very small town in Sao Paulo, like an hour and a half from Sao Paulo, the city, you know. And and like when I was growing up, I, I started getting really interested in films when I was about nine or ten. But there wasn't even a movie theater in my hometown, which was which made me really sad. So, you know, there was one video store that I could go to. So I would watch a lot of movies on VHS. This is before DVD. And but like going to the city, which would be Sao Paulo, you know, like to to the movies was a treat because I didn't get to do that a lot at all growing up. So and when I was 18, when I was finishing high school, that I, I got my green card and I moved to the U.S. because my, my father lives there. and But my, my parents were never married, basically. So I was raised by my mom in a small town in Brazil. And and then I just had this opportunity when I was 18. So I moved there and I just worked for a couple of years. And then I started film school at 20 in 2008. And I got my bachelor's in cinema studies and film production. And I graduated 11 years ago, exactly, and almost 11 years ago, and two weeks later, I moved to L.A., uh, and I stayed there almost 10 years, and then I came to Portugal last year, one year ago, yeah. so, so, but basically, so, uh, I'm a screenwriter, like, filmmaker, and, and I work in film acquisitions with an acquisitions company, so basically, working with like 20 distributors like on like 20 different countries basically and helping them acquire good films you know um so that's what i do i write a lot um and and i have a day job in acquisition so it's nice that we get to go to you know like film festivals like Cannes and berlin uh, toronto you know um and watch a lot of films good and bad <laughs> And because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, a lot of films that are premiere at a major festival, like can uh, when they premiere at the festival, unless they are like a studio film. And most of them are not because, you know, most of them are made in Europe or any other country, which is outside the studio system. And meaning that they usually have a sales agent attached to, to sell distribution rights to those films. So, for example, they just announced the can lineup a couple of days ago. So. A lot of films that are going to premiere in main competition, they are available for many countries, yeah, for distribution. They don't have either U.S. distribution, since U.S. is a major market. A lot of the times they wait to sell the U.S. at the last minute, you know, when at a, at a festival premiere and in several other countries. So when I go to a festival I can, um, I usually don't go see... Um, I studio film because that's not available for our clients. So if I have time, if I have time, I might see the Scorsese movie, but but I wouldn't do it for work because nobody can buy that. Apple has that movie, of course. Um, but it's just really interesting because I kind of got this job by accident. And in film school, nobody teaches you about acquisitions and distribution. No, which, you know, is very, um, like as a filmmaker, you're going to, that's always going to be useful for you, you know, um, like when you're trying to finance and make your own feature films. Um, so it's not something I want to do for the rest of my life, but I do enjoy it. I, I, I learn a lot about the distribution side of, of the business. So I just like have fun with it as well. 
That's great. Like, it is so good if your day job happens to be within the film industry as well. Um, but I want to ask you about when you're growing up, like, and you're going to that video store, what is jumping out at you? What is the film that starts to turn your interest into something more serious, maybe? Is there one or two films in particular? There's a lot, but there's a... Um... Because I remember in 99, 99 was a great year for film, you know, and I was 11. And that's around that time that I was watching just any movie that I that I could like find. But I was starting to also be introduced to more like serious films and in a lot like, you know, films like American Beauty or Election or All About My Mother. Um, you know, all the great films that came out during that time. But one specifically that I wouldn't see, I wouldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't able to find a copy of Magnolia, Paul Thomas Anderson. And so, oh, yeah. It's a great film. Yeah. It right. came out on video in late 2000 in Brazil, I guess. And I remember the date specifically when I finally got to rent it and see it. It was May 13th, 2001. I was 13 years old. And that wow. changed everything. It was the most powerful, like, you know, like cinematic experience I've ever had, even though I was watching at home on like, yeah. you know, TV on video, you know, when they had for like three hour movies, they had used to have two tapes. Remember that like Titanic and all you oh, have yeah. to one tape and start another one. So that's how I saw it for the first time. And um, it was just unlike anything else I had ever seen. You know, I just, I cried a lot and, and that's when I knew I, I was sure there was nothing else I wanted to do, you know, in life. Okay. That's what I really And that's and it's my favorite film to this day, which wow. I don't think it means my taste has evolved, of course. I I've seen a lot of other different films since and um you know, got to know a lot of other filmmakers. But for me, it's just Magnolia just has a very special place in my heart. And it's 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 then it's to the test of time, you know, over 20 years later, I saw it again, I think the last time, a little bit over one year ago, it stands up, it's a, it's a film, like, it's like, it's so cinematic, you know, like, I've seen it on the big screen many times as well, and it's just so emotionally, like, powerful and honest, and the performances are, like, out of this world, so there's, for me, I, I saw an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, Actually, it was at the, the Mark Maron podcast, I think from 2014, when Inherent Advice was coming out. And he was saying that if he were to make, if he were to make Magnolia now or like then, he would make it like 30 minutes shorter or one hour shorter. Like, but thankfully, he didn't. He, he, did, he made that film at that time. I think he was 28, 29, you know, and took a risk and it paid off. And you can see all that energy like from like young filmmakers who, because he had a big success with Boogie Nights. So he knew, I think it was at that time in his career that he could take a big risk. You know, he also had like a big star like Tom Cruise. And even if it didn't make a lot of money, it wouldn't end his career. He was to have another chance. So um, like, especially by Hollywood standards, you know, like that a studio financed that film. And you probably wouldn't see, you don't, wouldn't see that as often now, you know, because there's not a lot of mid-budget movies. It's either like tiny, tiny budget independent films or the Marvel movies, which yeah. are not for me. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, uh, no, what's so impressive about that film is how he sustains the energy for a whole three hours, you know, when there isn't big 
spectacle. It's all human emotion. Um, and what a cast. Yeah, I did see it on the big screen maybe two years ago as well with a full audience in Dublin. And uh, yeah, that that's really special, like to feel that electricity in the air, like when people are really invested in it and really respond to oh. it. Uh, it's great. Um, so yeah, I want to ask you then, you went to film school in Vermont and I guess maybe your father lived there or something, or you, you were living there alone maybe, or with housemates, but, um, I was, uh, living with my dad for two years. Uh, and when I started film school, I went to student housing for the first year, but it was a very small liberal arts school, Berlin college. So they only had student housing for fresh. So I was student housing for one year. And then for the next three years, I just shared an apartment with two other guys. Yeah. Yeah. And then like, what gives you the self-belief or the determination to then two weeks later drive to LA and want to live in LA? Because I imagine it's very challenging. Like, how did you decide to do that? For for the first two years of film school, I had no intention of moving to LA, at least not anytime soon. You know, I, I thought it scared me actually. And and then uh, when, I, when I met Dustin Lance Black, uh, it was like one year after he won an Oscar for Milk and he went to the University of Vermont and he gave a speech and I got to meet him and talk to him. And then I, we stayed in touch and then um, he was always very encouraging. And then I felt, wow, here's someone who's a young screenwriter, filmmaker, who's very successful, just won an Oscar. And he's not an asshole. He's actually a, a very nice person. So not everybody in LA is an asshole. And, you know, if you surround yourself with the good people, it's probably going to be okay. So in a way, he encouraged me to do it. Like he never said like, this is what you should do or not. But I just, he was just very encouraging when it comes like with writing and all that. So, so, so in a way he, I guess, inspired me to do it. But I literally knew like only a couple of people there, like him and a friend who were in LA when I, I knew two people in LA when I went there. Yeah. I mean, as an industry, I mean, all sorts of businesses attract, you know, not very nice people. But I do think the film industry is going to attract egocentric people and people who are in it for the wrong reasons. But it is nice to think that there are a few people or a lot of people who are doing very well, who are in it because they love cinema or they want to connect with people or they want to, you know, give some entertainment or some comfort to people. Uh, I definitely got that sense from Dustin Lance Black when I watched his Oscar speech. Obviously, I loved Milk as well. Um, Mm. It's such a great film and such an inspiring story. Um, But his speech was very special as well. So that's amazing that you got to work with him, didn't you? Didn't you was assisting him? I did like pre- like some like proofreading and all like things like that. Uh, so very light like um, uh, work, but um, so yeah, that was really nice. And then, but when I moved to LA, I it took me a long time to find a full time film related job. I still worked in restaurants for another year, and then I got a student advisor job and an ESL school, just because they had a lot of Brazilian students there. So they needed someone who speaks, who spoke Portuguese. Uh, and that was a like a day job. It wasn't great pay, but it paid the bills, you know? Uh, and I had yeah. that for, I think three years, exactly. And then in, in well, in during, when I, I still had that job, I, I got a job as a freelance reader for 
for this company I work, I, I, I'm working for to this day. So I was a freelance script reader for one year. And then in early 2017, they needed someone full time and they liked my work as a reader. So that's how I got the job. Um, in acquisitions, but I like I I knew, I didn't know anything about acquisitions. I knew that films got made and they got released somehow. But so I, that I actually learned on the job. I feel like if you you know have let's say good taste, but everybody thinks they have good taste, right? Like you can try and uh, I mean you can learn from there. But um, it just happened by accident. I uh, I learned how to write script covers. I did a few unpaid internships during those first few years, just to trying to, you know, find a good opportunity. And, um, and it was tough because, you know, like they say that internships, it's what you make of them, but it's partially true because a lot of big production companies, they, they rotate unpaid in terms, you know, like every season and because they can, because some people want to do it just for, school credit or you know for uh, to get it on their resume and and some of them will take advantage of you and and I feel like I always took it very seriously and I remembered the very first one that I got at a production company that required um, the script coverage I knew of script coverage I had never written it so when they asked if I knew it I basically googled it and I saw some samples and then say like, okay I, I think I get the sense of it and then they sent me a script as a test and I, I read it and I wrote the coverage, which is like comments and a summary and all. They like my coverage and, and, and I got internship. But, um, and I knew I was doing a good job because instead of lasting like a couple of months, it lasted maybe like seven months. But then I, but then eventually got rid of me because they knew they could get on paid work and rotating it. So that was frustrating, but I mean, it happens. And I'm not saying this as a, I'm not telling anyone not to do these internships. I think you should, you know, um, they can lead to something to a, to a good job and connections. But um, the problem was um, if you're moving to LA and, and if you don't have financial help from anyone, your parents or whatever, which I did. And so I was still working full time and doing sometimes not full time, but like 25 hours a week, like internships that were not, there was still like a lot of work. Uh, it's hard. It's really hard, you know, to mm. have a day job, to pay the bills and do unpaid work because you think it might help you and then want to get rid of you. So uh, if yeah. you don't have financial help, it can be really tough. Um, yeah. And, and I had to deal with that for a few years until I got this job. Yeah. I mean, it is a pity that maybe these companies don't invest in one particular individual and try and nurture their talent like instead of just starting from scratch with a rotating intern um but i want to know maybe a little what did you learn from the script reading role uh, about screenplays and how you maybe use that to approach your own screenwriting yes i feel like you learn a lot from reading bad scripts as well and um I, i'm i still read scripts and make my own job like all the time and I really liked it. I personally don't like summarizing, you know, because I'm 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 still a slow reader, and I I like to summarize as I'm reading it instead of just reading it and then writing the summary, which I think is the best way to do. But somehow I'm always afraid I'm gonna forget something important because I have I have very like I, don't, I remember the stuff that really moved me, you know, but not necessarily certain details that might be interesting for for a client who, who would read that coverage, but um. It, 
because I think like since like like structure script structure becomes a little bit like second nature after that, uh, and I still react to a script mostly emotionally, you know. Uh, but um, what I the difference between reading scripts for this job, which is most of the time are films that have been like greenlit and they're gonna get made and they're coming through a sales agent. Uh, or a producer, it means that the quality is a little bit better than if you're reading tons of scripts from a development company when you get all kinds of submissions. And some of them are not going to be good at all. Um, so in that regard, like I'm lucky in this job because we don't do development, although I do like development a lot, but that's not what, what I do at this job. So I'm not like giving development notes and just giving my honest opinion if this is a movie that would call like a pre-buy, which is means the distributor would buy before it gets made, you know, before or before it's completed. Um, but I think like uh, just like uh, subconsciously you start like taking uh, like the, 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 stru the structure of a screenplay becomes like second nature to you and I think that's what's more has been the most helpful. And, and in the end, it's always subjective, right? Like um, um like we have like uh, we all we disagree at work sometimes because like about like a certain script, which is totally fine because uh we're all different people and it's normal. But um what I I think something that I learned specifically on with this job is that because when you're writing the coverage and grading a script, it's not just the script, but it's the whole package. Because if it has a great director or a great cast, it, you think, you know, they might most likely will elevate the script. And sometimes the script is really strong, but the attachments are not great. But what I, this is my personal opinion, and maybe someone would disagree, but yes, it is true that, um, uh, you know, having a strong script helps a lot. But I feel like, a great director can elevate an imperfect script, and they're ne they're never perfect. But um, but uh, bad directing can easily destroy a great script, and I've seen it happens many times. And wow. okay, and sometimes you just don't know what happens because uh, there's sometimes wow. it's a strong script, good cast, and then the movie doesn't turn out great for some reason. And and sometimes like I wasn't impressed by the script, but it was elevated by whoever right. did, made it you know? so yeah. it's this is what makes the job exciting and not boring because there are surprises like this it's not science it's art you know so so yeah. that's what's exciting. nobody's gonna if, it, if there was a formula to it everybody would be making great films and winning oscars sure. and tons of money it doesn't work like that <laughs> exactly it's sometimes an experiment or a risk or a gamble maybe mm -hmm. um yeah, I never even considered that, that things are acquired before they're shot, like that you're reading a script and deciding to distribute it or acquire it before it's even made. Like, But then again, you do see those reports on like deadline of something having pre-sales. And yeah, it's uh -huh. interesting how it works. Now, what do you think of the CAM lineup this year? I know there's a couple of interesting ones I'm curious about, like May, December by Todd Haynes or The Zone of Interest by Jonathan Glazer. Curious mm. to see what he does again. It's been a while. Um, anything mm. that's sounding out to you or you're interested in seeing? I'm excited about those two films as well. Um, and I feel like there's a lot. Of, it, it's a predictable lineup in the sense that a lot of, you know, the same people return, but a lot of 
a lot of them are filmmakers that I love, so I'm excited anyway. And there's some, you know, like new names and yeah, it's the is their biggest uh like they never had as many female filmmakers in main competition, but it's still only six names, you know, so they still yeah. have a lot to do with that. But you know, it's small progress, but it's progress. And they have um a young filmmaker who who just made her first film and it's in main competition, which doesn't happen often at all. So I'm really excited, you know, to see that film and there's a lot of pressure on her, which, you know, because it's so, um, so rare for a first time filmmaker to get a slot like that. They usually get a film in a sidebar. Like my favorite film from last year was in Cannes, but in Critics Week, not main competition, After Sun, you know, oh, and yeah. that had like a great, you know, uh, life since such a beautiful Absolutely. film. But I'm, I'm also excited about the new Charismaki, Falling Leaves, you know, uh, I'm really ex- um, there's a new Nani Moretti, which um, I enjoy his films. Um, who else? Uh, Vin Vander says two films at a festival, so that I'm excited about that. And who else? There's, I mean, a lot of good stuff, but I jump in Glazer since it's been 10 years since he made a film. So that's up there for me as well. Yeah. Um, and I watched your short film, Family Portrait, uh, just curious about what it was like. And this was made maybe two years ago. Um, Almost three years ago. Um, yeah. We were planning to shoot in March of 2020. Oh, of course. <laughs> then we couldn't do it for several months, you know, kept postponing and all. Um uh, no, it was it was a good experience. It was just like a directing exercise with very little money and single location. Like I did it. Uh, I wrote a like uh, a single location project yeah. with like three actors like that because I wanted to keep it simple, you know. And 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 we had that house as a location for one day, so we just had one day to shoot. You know, like twelve hours, which was wow. like a ten day script, I guess. Um, uh-huh so it's hard but i mean it's um i mean it's just a learning experience on how to get things done you know and yeah and as actors and the three of them were very lovely i had never directed a child before um uh so that that was also like something new to me and uh the, the lead actress became a friend as well um and and the, the the director of photography was a friend from film school who was also living in LA, so it was just working with people that you know. Well, I, there were a couple of new people, but um, just helps a lot, you know, like because uh, it's it's nerve wracking. It, it still is to me. I think like it is like I haven't made a feature yet, and yeah. so just these shorts for like no money really, and it's just like a great learning experience. Yeah, well, it seemed like a very realistic portrayal of domestic abuse. Like, uh, you know, the father character is quite menacing and it was beautifully shot as well. I'm very impressed that you did all of that in one day. Like there's quite a few setups like and it was really well made. So thank you for linking it. It's available publicly, right? On YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if people just look up the Family Portrait 2021, probably. They'll find yeah, it. Yeah, it will, it will come up. <laughs> yeah. Now, are you working on anything now? Any personal writing projects? Uh, maybe 
features and shorts? I just finished a treatment recently for uh, something much lighter than that short film, like a, a gay romantic comedy. Oh, fun. <laughs> so I, I just, but I still need to write the first draft, you know, like, uh, but I, I have a treatment. I always write a treatment before. Uh, I mean, everybody yeah. has a different way, you know, of writing, but for me, it helps a lot because in the past when I tried, oh, I'm going to break the rules and, <laughs> and just start draft, drafting. No, not, not for me. I'm sure some people do it and it works for them, yeah. but um i need basic structure to work from you know like once you start writing a draft of course you're going to change things which is just natural and but um i feel like writing a treatment even it doesn't not a long treatment really just like the you know all the beat, the main beats of the story uh, it's very important for me i cannot start writing a draft before i do that yeah i think diving in diving right in can be like you'll find yourself maybe in a dead end maybe at some point uh so how do you do learning. it yeah well i did an ma in screenwriting maybe two years ago and you know they obviously taught us story structure otherwise what else are they going to teach us you know they were not going to say yeah just start writing so um i yeah i followed kind of three act structure and did an outline we started with a two-page outline then did a six-page outline and then started writing pages. And it took about 30 days for me to write a 90-page script. Just very realistic page targets, three pages a day. And I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Like, um, I've yet to write another one, but uh, I really want to. And I want to write one that's a bit more contained and a bit more mm -hmm. realistic in terms of maybe making it, like, without too much money. Um, but, yeah... It, I learned so much doing that and it really uh, reignited my interest in writing and stuff like that. But mm. um, yeah, I've read some of your writing as well. Like I think maybe one personal piece about previous romance you had, it was really good. Like it's really interesting. Oh yeah, that was a long, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe I you wrote it a long time ago, yeah. but you sent it to me maybe two years ago, but it was really, if you ever have anything else you need, like a uh, second opinion or a fresh pair of eyes or perspective, uh, send it on to me because I'd love to read it. Yeah, when I finish, you know, like this draft, maybe not just, you know, not the very first draft, but uh, I'll send it to you. I'd love to get your opinion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be great. Finally, I want to ask you, uh, do you have like a favorite Apart from Paul Thomas Anderson, like any favorite director at the moment? You mean living filmmakers or, or yeah, working right now? Like living filmmakers that whatever they do next, you're going to be there on the first day. Mm, like there's a, there's a lot, but like it's for more um, like for young filmmakers, who do I like? Um are you into like um, Brady no, Corbett? He's I like I like his I like Voxlux a lot. I didn't see his first film, Childhood of a Leader. I believe was the first. No, one, right? I haven't seen that either. He seems really dark. He seems very intense, um, but interesting. And He's there's a few guys awesome. like that. There are like Ari Aster and Robert Eggers and people like that. I don't know if you're into their work. I like Hereditary a lot. And we both love Tony Collette, of course. She yes. doesn't, I mean, she's always great. 
I didn't see Midsommar just because um, it seemed too graphic for me and the old graphic violence. I never liked it in the first place. And I'm sure it's, you know, like Florence Pugh must be amazing, as everyone says, and there's a lot to enjoy, but uh, I just can't handle that. I avoid that stuff anymore. So in a way, I'm more like yeah. even more squeamish, you know, like at yeah. this age. No, um, don't. If you're in any way that way, don't. Yeah, Midsummer was hard to watch, I found. Like, it was too oppressive in the mood. Like, um, uh -huh. it's so funny, though. My partner, who's Brazilian, was working in a beach bar in Ibiza last summer. And I had shown him a picture of Florence Pugh and Will Poulter in Ibiza the night before on Twitter. And then he served them and was dancing with them and joking with them and laughing with them all day in his job. He's like the host in this beach bar this on this gay beach. And she was like totally low key, not and no airs or graces or saying who she was or anything. He didn't know who they were until I, he got home and I told him, yeah, that's who you were just... And they invited him out for like a party and stuff. And but then they left before they could organize anything. It's so funny. It was like the one day that I didn't go and meet him at his work. It would have been bad. If I had been there, I would have been a bumbling mess, I think. So uh -huh. uh, it's probably for the best that I didn't meet her. <laughs> no, that's so, uh, uh, that's so cool. And she looks, seems like down to earth, you know. I hope, yeah. I, I, I hope she's still that way. Um, no, uh, no, but I have. I think out of young filmmakers, it's a good question that because um, now that I like think about it, I stop to think about it, and the filmmakers that I'm that I follow are people have me around forever. Like Almodovar, you know, has a new film in Cannes. That's exciting. Or Claire Denis and uh, or Karismaki and all these people that clearly they've been around for a long time, and a lot of people love yeah. them. But if we're paying attention and we should, you know, well, I was really into Xavier Alonso for a while and, and I, I still like his films. I think he has a TV show, a TV series coming out soon. I don't know. Uh, so I like his work, but Lucas Daunt, who did Girl and Clothes. Oh, yeah. That got an Oscar nominee. He's our generation. I think he's three years younger than me. I think he's going to be like 32 this year. So he's like yeah. around your age and he's very talented. Uh, I ran into him in Cannes a couple of times. I mean, you can't say like I had a long conversation, but shook his hand. He was very, polite, you know, and uh, very polite and friendly and clearly very, very talented. So I'm very excited to see what he does next. Charlotte Wells, you know, After Sun is the first feature. So oh yeah, whatever yeah. she does, I'm excited to see. So yeah, there's there's like some exciting names from our generation to watch out yeah. for. Okay. Well, I hope you have an amazing time at Cannes. You are going, right? Yes, I'll be there on the 14th for like 10 days, yeah. Awesome. Well, have a great time. Hope you see some great films, make some deals. Uh, yes. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was lovely to talk to you virtually for the first time. My pleasure. We should do this, this more often, yeah. Yeah. We don't need to be recording it or anything. We can just chat. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cool. Listen, thanks. Have a lovely day, Alicia. You too. Bye. So that was my chat with Aloisio Lecce. It was great to have him on the show. I think he's got a great future in the film industry and his journey so far has been inspiring. And I hope you guys will tune in next week for the next episode. This has been Press Play and Surrender. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts.